In this interview series we call The Circuit, TechPoint serves up the human stories behind the major tech headlines in Indiana. I'm your host, Roger Schumann, Senior Relationship Manager at TechPoint. Today we talk to Katie Burge, Associate and Head of Platform at M25. M25 is an early stage venture firm based in Chicago that invests solely in tech startups based in the Midwest, with many Indiana companies in their portfolio. In this episode, we talk about Katie's journey to working in venture capital, what criteria M25 looks for when investing in a startup, and what circumstances led to Indianapolis being ranked the number three Midwest startup city. Thanks for being here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want to jump into the first thing that interested me, and this is sort of has a, I guess, a, it's selfish, self-serving. Your your journey from junior copy editor to um, M25. Uh, my first title as a, even while I was still in college, was junior copywriter, and now I. I'm sort of in the VC world too. So tell me a little bit about that. What did you learn along the way that oh took gosh. you to M25? I've learned what happened. I learned along the way. Um, yeah, I, um, so similar to you first internship in college was a junior copy editing role. I thought I wanted to work in the media. I thought I wanted to write articles, interview people. Um, I landed an internship at a kind of startup media agency in Munich Mm. Um, I was their very first intern. They actually had like Indiana and DePaul ties, which is how I found them. And what I learned in that six months is that I hated copy editing. <laughs> I did not want to be a writer. So, uh, really, I think it's I think it's really great to also learn what you don't want to do along the way. Um, so did that. Um, as my first role. And then um, I don't know, Roger, if you and I have ever talked about this, but I went to grad school at IU during the recession when they told you not to apply to grad school just because you couldn't find jobs. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I did Um, in the telecommunications program at IU, which is essentially like new media, origins of the information age, creative economies, um, not like phone service providers, like you'd think right. telecom, although, like, right. honestly, we did get into the bare bones of that as well. Yeah. Um, so, really got to, like, early learn about startups and VC to some degree during part of those courses. Um, left grad school three years later to intern at Sproutbox in Bloomington, like, yep. very early venture studio. Um, did tech-focused economic development work in Bloomington for several years. A brief stint doing marketing for a startup there, and then um, meandered my way up to Indianapolis to work at Launch Indie, running the co-working space mm-hmm. there, opened an accelerator for social enterprises during my time there, and um, really knew that what I wanted to focus on next in the future was venture. To me, like that was the next logical step in my career, given the work I've been doing supporting startups um, and working in tech ecosystems. And uh, the opportunity to work for M25 kind of just uh, 
fell into my lap. Luckily, I um, my my latest work in grad school was looking at the rise and fall of the industrial Midwest and how can we turn factory towns hmm. into tech hubs. And um, so obviously everything I've gotten to do since then has been along those lines and had the opportunity to work for a Midwest-focused PC yeah. firm, just incredible. So yeah. um, that's how that's how I got here, the long and winding road. But um, <laughs> again, one of the most important things in my career was learning that I did not want to be a writer. <laughs> yep, I, I can relate. I won't get into it. It's not my interview, but uh, so your title today, uh, I believe, is head of platform yes. at M25. Yes. So I talk to a lot of venture capital firms, investors in general. It's a title I see occasionally, but not too often. Tell me a little bit about what that means, and, and maybe maybe you can explain a little bit about the rise of platform yes. in venture capital. I'd be so happy to. And for anyone that's interested, there's actually a global VC platform community. Uh, if you just, you know, if you Google VC platform, it will be the first thing that shows up. Mm-hmm. It's a network of over 1,400 people in platform roles at venture capital firms from across the country. And it started just a few years ago with a few people grabbing beers in New York and talking about their very specific jobs that were, were you know, sometimes with the investment team. I sit on our investment team as well, but like most of what I do is directly supporting the startups we already have. Um, and so they started meeting together, figuring out what overlaps there were in roles, mm-hmm. what platform is and isn't. And so that's kind of, um, that was like the early origins of talking about platform roles at VC firms. Uh, essentially, while it varies wildly uh, right. depending on the firm, the firm size, what their focus is, platform broadly is supporting your existing portfolio however you can. I always like to think of it um, as falling into like five or six categories. So your people who work on talent and recruiting mm-hmm. for your for your portfolio companies, if you have someone on your team doing that, kind of being the first recruiter for startups. Um, it could be doing marketing and branding for those companies or for your firm, community management, um, traditional portfolio support. Big companies like Google want mm-hmm. startups early so they can keep them for life once they're like already in the system. Yeah. So um, they'll offer perks and discounts to startups. Managing all of those perks and discounts falls under platform. Um, sometimes business development does. It's something we're not that focused mm-hmm. on. Um, but sometimes the, like big teams will have like three or four biz dev people in their platform team to support those startups early business development um, and like go to market strategies, et cetera. Um, sometimes platform roles can be investor relations. A lot of them have event components to mm-hmm. it. Um, so really just anything that your firm is doing other than investment would fall under um, platform. I also like to think of it as like, what platform of support are you offering your companies? Um, and again, it's super different yeah. depending on the firm and what their goals are. But um, that's that's how I define it. Yep. No, that makes sense. So now all investors that I meet brand themselves as being value-added investors. Sure. Um, so... How does a typical founder go about discerning the difference between uh, or the difference in the right fit? I mean, and conversely, how does a VC stand out in the crowd as a differentiated investor? Yeah, I think there are a couple important things that I talk to startups about when even when I'm having intro calls with them and we're considering investment. Um, I think it's super important if you if you're in a very like niche industry to know who the experts are, VC firm wise, like just as an example, um, I think robots are really cool. I don't know anything about robots. 
I, I think collectively as a firm, robots would be a very hard um, area for us to mm-hmm. focus on. But there are VC firms, sure. um, you know, dozens of VC firms that are just focused on robotics. Right. So the level of expertise that those people bring, whether it's being past operators at a robotics company or whether it's being like a mechanical engineer that's just a robots expert, um, I don't know why I went specifically with robots, but I do get excited about them, so that's fine. Um, but, you know, having a very specific industry focus, that's one thing that might be important depending on the type of company. I think it's super important when a startup is asking um, is, is, is asking for funding from an investor to also be interviewing that investor to see what types of support they can offer. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I always like to tout at M25 um, what types of support we can offer. Well, we do an annual event where we bring 200 investors to right. Chicago to meet with our portfolio companies. And we generally book between 500 and 700 double opt-in meetings. Um, over those two days, we actually just had ours last week and it was over 800, which is bananas yeah. for two days. But Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, but with the goal of several millions of dollars being raised yeah. in the course of those two days, not immediately, but sure. you know, in the in the upcoming months, um, because we know that we're not going to be a later stage investor. So for us, the biggest way we can provide value is making those intros to likely next yeah. investors. Uh, I think that's super important. One thing we also try to do um, that are just small things: webinars. Um, We've done some mental health and wellness stuff, especially early on in the pandemic. Um, we tried doing a science of well-being and happiness class um, that one of the Ivy League schools is offering um, as a like as a online virtual kind of asynchronous class. Uh, we also tried having a gaming league during like, the most stressful part of right. that summer of the <clears throat> pandemic. Um, and those are things that aren't important to all founders, but um, I think that's something, I think talent is super on top of everyone's sure. mind right now. Yeah. And like, even though some huge tech companies are starting to announce layoffs, there's still such a war for talent. So um, I always recommend that if startups are interviewing investors as much as investors are interviewing them for potential investment, knowing what they can offer in terms of that. Yeah. Um, there are some firms that have whole dedicated talent teams of like actual professional recruiters. Um, I am not an actual professional, recruiter, <laughs> but I am doing a lot of recruiting work for companies. Um, but I think it's super important to know. And then as you're filling out an investment round, you can know what specific firms are offering, which benefits, and if there are any gaps. So that if something like talent is really important to you and you're choosing between a couple of firms for rounding out that round, um, that could be the deciding factor. So yeah. um, I think you know I think firms are always hoping they can provide more value. That's something that we take really seriously. But um, yeah, I do think every investor thinks of themselves as a value sure. add. And one thing we're always trying to do and platform teams are trying to do is figure out how to actually contribute value. Yep. So thinking about adding value, platform, and just the size of your portfolio, how are you able to do that to provide value to like at least 60 companies? We have 131. Okay. So I was only like half off. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, some of it is just that it is a, it's, it's crazy sometimes working for a firm that has that many portfolio companies. I think one thing we've really prioritized at M25 and, and me in this role has been trying to strategize what what our limitations are, given that we're currently a platform team of one with some additional support from the rest right. of the team. Um, but the rest of the team very much focused on um, investment or um, 
or like office operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring out like what are our priority areas. I spent the last two weeks of December last year really outlining how I thought M25 should prioritize our platform support. And for me, like it's five areas. It's talent, it's events, like what we're already doing with our mm-hmm. summits. We also do super fun happy hours in Midwest cities where we have more than three or so companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so planning those, doing our own team marketing and brand, um, because the more we can get out there, the more that helps with our deal flow. So that's an area that I'm focused on that not all venture firms have a priority focus. Um, community management through our Midwest Startups brand. Uh, if you go to MidwestStartups.com, we have tons of content on um, open roles, but also what's happening in terms of new investment rounds in the Midwest, new mm-hmm. VC funds in the Midwest. Um, so managing that brand and then um, and then talent. Like those are really the areas that I like to focus on um, because I think that, you know, again, there are whole, there are larger teams at larger firms that can have a person dedicated to each of that. Right. But knowing, for us, knowing what our limitations are given our size of fund and our size of team, um, what are tangible things we can do in those five areas? Right. Um, and, and how can we just go about doing the best we can with those? Uh, we're a very OKR-driven organization. So um, one thing that we've tried to do is prioritize in each of those categories a couple of metrics every quarter that we can try to hit. And then the idea is, like, hopefully we'll figure out new efficiencies and processes and we can just keep growing those mm-hmm. goals as we go. And, I mean, on top of that, you know, you mentioned you're the only person who's focusing on platform, but you're a team of, what, about seven people? Yep. Yeah. We have, um, we actually have eight people okay. now. Um, every, sometimes we have an intern. We currently have a platform intern, which has been incredible. Cool. Um, but, yeah, I, it is tough. I think that everyone on the team works really hard. We all, um, we try to rely on tech stacks and platforms to streamline a lot of our processes, um, but yeah, I, I think for us, communication is key. We actually do, um, a lot of VC firms have a weekly pipeline meeting. We have mm-hmm. two, um, so that we can all be on the same page about flow of investments and, um, who needs to follow up with who, when we also set really strict metrics for turnaround times on things like making an investment decision or getting back with, um, potential investments. Mm-hmm. And I think holding ourselves accountable to that also lets us function really well as a smaller team. Yep. Sure. So as an investor seeking opportunities in more than 10 states, um, are there common characteristics among Hoosier entrepreneurs that you talk to that maybe set them apart from some of their counterparts? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Well, I would say like a couple of obvious things, as you know, as everyone knows, um, having exact target about my Salesforce uh, in 2013 really did a lot to change the face of investing in Indiana and also the flywheel effect from people leaving there to start either venture firms or companies. Um, I think that a lot of the marketing tech is still concentrated here relative to other parts of the Midwest. Um, I think that, so I think that's like an obvious thing. I think um, one exciting thing for me has been to see um, an increase of accelerator programs and that's spitting out. as you know, a longtime fan of the G-Beta program mm-hmm. over here, but um, it's been really great to see, um, you know, very topic-specific cohorts right. starting to graduate in Indiana, having the Techstars program, um, both the hard tech one for a couple of years and sports yep. tech one still up and running has been really great to see. And I know that 
in those cases, especially, they're not always located in the Midwest right. um, while they're visiting here for yeah. the accelerator. But I still think that those kinds of interactions that they're having with entrepreneurs while they're here is creating some really interesting cross-pollination of ideas. Um, and I think that's something that not a lot of ecosystems have. Um, I think also this this isn't about entrepreneurs specifically, but the fact that we have a state-run fund of funds, right. the next level yeah. fund, is something that's becoming more popular and we are seeing more often. But I do think that Indiana, at least relative to the Midwest, was one of the early pioneers yeah. of a fund of funds. And I do think that we're finally starting to see some really exciting uh, traction because of it. I think yeah. that when, when it first launched, we were seeing um, you know, a handful of investors from the coast taking an interest in Indiana. But I think that the pandemic, um, the crazy priced rounds that were happening last year on the coasts and um, people's willingness to do things virtually, those things coupled with having a fund of funds has really brought new interest and yep. some really exciting co-investors to Indiana. Yep, totally agree. Um, so M25 has a broad investment thesis. Yeah. Um, so... How does that compare to, you know, if you're, if you're a founder, uh, you, you might be, maybe you're seeking out a fund with deep domain expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, like robots. Like robots. <laughs> I mean, and have you invested in any companies that are doing robotics? You're pretty That's active true. in Pittsburgh. It's funny, it's funny that you asked that because um, I, my initial response was no, but we did have an early investment, I believe, fund one that was a like robotic cat toy. Uh-huh. Um, so, you, so you know, like, kind of. <laughs> um, I, so largely, so largely we, um, we are generalists. Yeah. There are any heavily, heavily regulated industries. Typically we don't do because we don't have that sure. depth of regulatory right. knowledge. So for us, that's vice industries, <clears throat> pharmaceuticals, right. biotech, gene editing, ag tech, which you know is like a hot topic here. I think one of the G beta ag bioscience cohorts, last year and the year before was all mm-hmm. like very regulated ag tech yep. like that. Yep. Um, we just don't, we don't have a team size or a specific domain expertise that would make us comfortable with those investments. And a lot of biotech pharmaceutical investments are really big seed rounds up front mm-hmm. before they're generating revenue. And that's really not what we're into. Um, so I would say like for us as a firm, we're generalists, but we also know what lanes we won't play in because of that. Right. Um, I do think we still lean very heavily into B2B SaaS. Sure. Um, that won't surprise you given that that's it's hot here, it's hot elsewhere in the Midwest. Yes. Um, and we have a few consumer products, but really um, it has to be something that we think we can actually be useful in providing expertise or connections um, for us to feel comfortable doing. It- is Indiana or just maybe central Indiana in general, just when you when you look at so many different ecosystems that you're dealing with in 10 states or more, are we really that strong in B2B SaaS compared to other areas? I think it depends on the subdomains. So we already talked about marketing tech mm-hmm. being very hot here. And I think that, you know, even though it's been so far removed from the exact target right. position, we're still seeing flywheel stuff from that. We're still seeing startups spun up from current high alpha people, yep. ex high alpha people. Like that's all the same family mm-hmm. of, of domain expertise. Um, I would say just as an example, there are tons of insurance tech companies in, in Ohio. Right. Makes in sense. Columbus. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we, we see more, we see more ag tech software deals 
else in, in other farm, let's call them farmies. Yeah. Um, in the Midwest, um, we also see, man, like this is probably overgeneralizing, but, um, you know, Chicago, because they have so many larger tech companies that are like, I don't know, let's call them in this consumer space, like group. Sure. Yeah. Um, right. We're seeing spinoff companies in like e-commerce yep. out of the Chicago area. Um, but I don't know. I, it's not, Indianapolis is still special because of marketing tech. Yeah. Um, I don't think that we're exclusively marketing tech. Right. No, um, we're not. You know, our, we, it's been a while, actually, since we've done an Indianapolis-based investment. I think it was um, like late December 2020 or early mm-hmm. January 2021, and it was Trava, so cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, I would say that M25's Indiana-based portfolio is not... Um, it's not that marketing tech heavy. Yeah. Um, but mm. I don't know. All right. So I want to talk about the age of M25 people. Yes. I've met quite a few of you. I think we, we've established that you're what? Thir- not you personally. I'm, we're not going to talk about how old anybody <laughs> is in this room. But in general, 36 and under, yeah. everybody. Yeah. And some people like maybe 12 and gaps. under. Yeah, there are also some big <laughs> gaps there. Um, I, we have this conversation a lot as a firm. Uh, we had several people in the last two years approaching 30. Yeah. Like, how can we get in like the Forbes 30 under 30? Like, how can we <laughs> do as big a push as possible before right. these people turn 30? We, we do skew really young. Um, and it's something that... Um, it's something that like is, is great. And I don't even want to call it limiting. Cause I also think we're surrounded by really good advisors mm-hmm. and mentors as well. Um, we also have a surprising amount of prior work experience, despite our age collectively right. the team. Um, we've already talked about my career trajectory. Um, one of the founding partners, Micah Seb, actually very similar background to, to me. Mm-hmm. He was, um, he was up at Purdue Foundry. Right prior did a stint at like a chemical engineering company for a while, has some experience as an operator because of that. Um, he and I actually, before we knew each other, were running the Lafayette and Bloomington branches of, of Verge back in the day, um, respectively at the same time. So like the first two outside of Indianapolis, um, he and I were separately like running those events. Um, this is powder keg when it yeah. was called the Verge. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, you know, similar background to me, Victor on our team, um, founding partner, had prior experience at Walgreens corporate, um, Claire's corporate. So I always ask him if he can pierce my ear. He always says no. Um, he wasn't trained in that, but I, I'll just keep asking. It's not part of the corporate training. It, it can be part of the corporate training, um, but it, in his case, he wasn't. Um, <laughs> And then we've got a couple people who've spent their whole careers working in VC or adjacent to VC right. as well. So it's a really exciting team. Um, can't say enough about them, but um, I love that we're young. I think that we when we do events. I think that they end later than a lot of <laughs> they probably do. Than a lot of them do in the industry. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I think that I think that you know there's a lot to be said about um, about age and expertise, but at the same time, there's a lot to be said about a band of smart young people um just trying things out and also yeah. just like really working hard so. yeah now i know that you don't well i don't think that you daily talk to potential or to founders i mean you have different folks in your organization to do that but you do i mean I do. You, yeah. you came to vc speed dating i, I think and, yeah so um but 
Are there some like just absolute no-nos that entrepreneurs sure. do that can be avoided? Yes. Um, and, and a lot of this you've probably heard before. Um, on occasion, we'll get a founder who wants us to sign an NDA. Right. Um, venture firms don't like to do that. It's complicated. It, it might put them in a tricky spot where they don't realize that there's a conflict of interest prior from an existing investment or something right. like that. Um, it's not because anyone wants to steal your idea. It's because VC firms don't want that liability and don't have the time. Yeah. Um, I get that, too. Like, yeah. if I get someone wants to send me a pitch deck, yes. every once in a while someone will say, you got to sign an NDA. I'm like, I'm sorry, yeah, I can't sign an sorry. NDA. Send, um, I always tell them to send me something that I can send to anyone else on the planet. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's hard for some founders to hear because they've like spent so much time on this. This is their baby. Right. Um, but I always just tell people, listen, like no one that you're going to be sending this to has enough time to copy your idea. Right. Like they don't. So, um, we generally like an NDA is a non-starter. Yeah. Um, I always recommend, we get a lot of cold emails, and we as a firm actually love cold emails. There are all kinds of Twitter debates on, like, cold versus warm intros. Um, our goal is to see every deal right. in the US. We don't care how we get it. Right. We invested in companies that cold emailed us before. Um, but it's really helpful if a company can um, make it clear where they're from in, a, in an executive summary or email in, like, something that can be read in 30 seconds, like, where you're from, what is your product, what size round are you raising, um, just because we'll get, you know, dozens of emails a week that are disqualifying either. Uh, like we'll, we'll see a form email that tries to sound personalized. It's like, I've been researching M25 and I think you're the most perfect fit for us. And it'll be like a New York based company mm-hmm. using $5 million. Right. I'm like nothing, <laughs> nothing about that is actually a good fit. Right. Thank you for making us read this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say like just having, um, having a good idea of what a firm that you're emailing is looking for. And I know that, I know that startups are busy. A lot of cold outreach is just like mass emailing and hoping for the best. Um, But trying to just curate that list a little bit. So you're also not wasting your own time. Um, Our friends at bread and butter ventures in Minneapolis have actually done a couple of really great posts about how to do a cold intro um, that I highly recommend any startups that are, that are reaching out cold. Um, You know, we don't, I'm 25 definitely like, cares deeply about diversity of our portfolio. And I know that um, anytime you're trying to create a more equitable venture society, you cannot rely on warm intros. So we really rely on um, on cold intros as much as we do warm ones, but we it has to be something we'll invest in. <laughs> that just seems like the opposite of what you would hear, the importance of a cold intro yeah. versus a warm intro. Yeah. So tell me about M25's Midwest Cities rankings. So oh, I would love this is to. this is interesting to us right now. Um, first off, how did it get started, and what kind of reaction do you get from the cities? Yes, so I don't know the like full origin story, but I can tell you that at M25 we are like nerds about data. We're nerds about right. the Midwest, and the Midwest Cities rankings is the perfect combination of those. So annually we collect. I think it's between like 25 and 30 data points on 59 Midwest cities. Um, and that number has grown a little bit since mm-hmm. the original rankings. Um, and then everything is weighted. Um, it's super complicated. I'm not on the number crunching side. Um, but we ultimately compile all of the data from the past year. And it could be things like 
what's your state or city's business tax climate like? Um, is it an attractive city for people to live based on these metrics? Um, is there really good broadband? Like a very minor detail right. in these rankings, but yeah. still something um, something that could affect it. Um, and then what types of exits happened in the last year? What kinds of um, like VC fund raises happened? How many accelerators are there in your city? Um, so all of those factors we compile into a definitive ranking of cities. Um, so it started. I think we're, I think we're on the fifth year, maybe the sixth year. Sounds about right. Um, I could be way off on that, but I, be, I believe so. And we always launch them in the late summer, early fall. Um, it was it was early August this year, so we've had yep. about a month of it. Yep. Um, one thing I've tried to do more in recent years is try to get um, press uh, to reserve time on. Victor's calendar because Victor knows more than anyone yep. what's going on in each city and why he thinks cities moved up in rankings um, anecdotally. So we're trying to make it a big media affair, um, and it has grown in readership and interest over the years as well. I can tell you from my notes, it started I think in 2017. Okay, so we're looking at about seven years or so, six or seven years. Yeah, um, because Indy or Indianapolis debuted at number eight in 2017. Yes. We went to five a year later, and then we hovered at the f- number four spot for quite a few for a years very long time. until finally breaking through to number three this year. Uh, we jumped above Pittsburgh. So um, while your firm is based in Chicago, you're right here in Indianapolis. What, what do you attribute to our growth from yeah. four to three or maybe even just from uh Eight to three yes. today. So I so some of the early rankings I will say like heavily factored in like pharmaceuticals and life sciences mm-hmm. and patents. Right. And so I think some of that like lean less on that today. Make the make everything a little wonky. Yeah. Um so it took us a while to figure out the weighting of the rankings mm-hmm. and like um, is this an accurate reflection of what's going on? We also like super welcome feedback. Um every year we got like three to five people from different metros that are upset about something in the rankings and we listen to it Mm -hmm. and we consider it for, for when we're tweaking the rankings next year. Um, If I'm being honest, Indianapolis was a surprise to me this year. Uh, But I think some of that is just, again, like it's been, it's been a couple of years since, well, not a couple of years, but it's been at least a year and a half since M25 did an investment in Indianapolis. And so um, I was, I was actually thinking um, because St. Louis has had a lot of, um, small, like small rounds, but lots right. of rounds in right. the last year. I was actually worried about us losing the number four spot to St. Louis. Um, and I do not participate in the number crunching part of the rankings at all. And yeah. I always, I was also forced them to tell me as late as possible so that I can be surprised. Um, and I, and in talking to the team about it, cause I did ask the number crunchers why Indianapolis moved up and some of it is we're continuing to have a robust accelerator ecosystem here. Um, you know, whether one could argue whether that's like weighted properly or not, mm-hmm. but I think that um, I think that there are far more accelerators here than in Pittsburgh, for example. Um, I think that Pittsburgh didn't have as many large funding announcements. So if you recall last year's big big announcements, I'm having a hard time coming up with all of them on the fly, but um, you know, scale computing did another big right. last year. Yeah. Um, oh, we had yeah. 100 million, 120 yeah, million dollar exactly. rounds. Like, you, yeah, you know mega rounds. rounds. You yeah, yeah. Um, so all of those large rounds, huge contribution. Yep. 
Um, and then we also had a few new VC funds announced. So I think that right. momentum is great. One thing that I love about the rankings is when city officials or organizations like TechPoint will reach out and say, hey, like, we saw that the rankings went well, or we saw that the rankings went not so well this year. We'd like to turn these results into actionable steps for our community. What hurt us or like what really helped us this year so that we can take that back to city officials and state officials when we're trying um, trying to add more resources to our arsenal. Yeah. Um, and that's something really cool that's happened. Yeah. I also love a good success story. Like Wichita moved up a bunch in the rankings this year and the like Wichita Chamber of Commerce was all over it on Twitter. Um, I love when smaller local papers right. uh, will cover that when a state cracks the top 25. Um, my ultimate dream for the Midwest cities rankings is to have something akin to like selection Sunday for the NCAA tournament <laughs> um, where we do like a live broadcast announcing the rankings one by one. Um, I think we need like a full fledged production team for that. We don't have it, but we should have like cameras set up in remote areas I so we can all just be sitting here. These yeah. Cameras after this is done. <laughs> Um, yeah, and exactly. Just like, just when, like, when a school is selected. Whether you're really happy or yes. we'll throw our stuff yeah, down and exactly, walk out. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I, those are the Midwest Cities rankings. Huge fan. Um, we are too. Those are, if you go to yeah. Midwest Startups, you can view all of the current and past data, which yeah. I love. Um, we always try to do a couple of great infographics as well. Yeah. In general, a very good year for for sure, yeah. yeah. So, so TechPoint, we are very Indiana centric. Um, how does our state look different than than like Chicago on the ground in terms of investment community? I mean, that's yeah. a that's a giant. That's a giant, and I think it's important to acknowledge um, scale. Yeah. To some degree, yeah. Like, I do think um, I do think that that's important. Like, people ask. Um, People from Pittsburgh, people from Minneapolis currently sitting at number two in the rankings, people from Indiana are like, all right, like, what do we got to do to overtake Chicago? And honestly, the real answer is probably like, you know, like more than quadruple in size. Right. Yeah. Like there's just nothing that can be done about the fact that this isn't the third largest city right. in the country or whatever is Chicago. Is Create a great lake. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That goes yeah, down to Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, did, I made a joke about that. Someone, you know, when they asked what it would take. Like someone from, from, uh, someone uh-huh. from Minneapolis is like, what's it going to take? Yeah. I'm like an active <laughs> Chicago. Um, I long time. Don't try that. Yeah. No. Yeah, right. uh, lifetime Indiana resident, uh, long time fan of visiting Chicago, but never living there. Yeah. Um, I have to say like one thing I have learned in my time at M25 and going up to Chicago, um, a couple things. One, like, yes, the density is crazy mm-hmm. there. Um, they also just have the luxury of having had so many startup exits and so many unicorns. Right. I think they had 12 last year or mm-hmm. something like that. That is a lot. Yes. Um, so I think that all of those are contributing factors. Something that you will hear me constantly complain about in Indianapolis is that while we actually do have a high number of venture firms, accelerators, startups, they are not concentrated in any part of the city. Um, it's and, and Indianapolis is obviously set up geographically very different than Chicago, and we don't have really robust public transit. Sure, right. So um, I'll talk to colleagues who... Um, are meeting with like, you know, this venture firm, this venture firm, this startup over the course of a day, and they're able to like walk somewhere or take a train very quickly. Right. We're, I, I always describe India as focused on like, you've got the downtown startups and VCs, 
Um, our office, our office here is downtown. Mm-hmm. It is close to High Alpha. Um, it's pretty close to where Next Level Funds office is currently. And then you've got like Fishers and yeah, Carmel. Yeah, you've got Fishers. And you've got Broad Ripple in the middle. Bloomington. So got, and yeah. Um, yeah, and then, yeah. And then yeah, extend yeah. it down to Bloomington and up to Lafayette. Yep. Um, all the way up to South Bend. For sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But really, um, Chicago's got a lot of like core downtown density, a lot of VC firms in River North and the Loop area, mm-hmm. um, where so much of the business district of Chicago is. We just yeah. don't have the luxury of that here. Um, as a as a former executive director of Longevity and running the Union 525 building, I would love to see a big push to get everyone back downtown. Yeah. Um, but I also acknowledge that there's a lot going on in the Carmel Northern Indy area, um, at like 96th and 108th and 116th Street. So um, I think that's something. Um, I know that like right now we're sitting at 16 Tech, which yeah. is an exciting new development. And um, you know, one role ago at Launch Indy, we were having meetings with some of the team here in advance of these buildings opening, trying to figure out how we can get consistent, easy transit between. Union, the union complex, and and here to right. try to create those stronger ties um, and easy connectivity. Yeah. Um, I think something like that could be great. I think that as Indy's rapid transit system continues to develop um, beyond just the red line, right. that'll help a lot too. But um, I think that yeah, geography is a limiting factor for us. So that was kind of the next question. You sort of answered it, but, you know, how does Indy go from number three to, to number two or even number one? And, and I agree. That I, war on Minneapolis. Yeah. Open war on Minneapolis. Um, what, I, what do they have? What dis, what, what's the distinction of, of Minneapolis yeah, compared it's, to so it's a couple Indy? Things. Take um, notes if you're watching anecdotal. this. Yeah. Um, they, have, um, they have some Fortune 500 companies that are very actively involved in the VC and startup community. Yeah. They've got a lot of, like, very R&D heavy, like 3M is there. Yeah. Um, they also have a robust accelerator, um, pro- like series of programs. Um, I, I'm really close with the Techstars Form to Fork people. Yeah. They're running a Techstars Sports Accelerator. Um, so kind of the, like, let's call it the twin program uh, to Indy's Sports Accelerator. Hmm. The Techstars is running here. Um, and then, like, also hilariously calling it a twin program because it's in conjunction with the Minneapolis Twins or the Minnesota Twins. Um, it's, I've been to their office. It's right across the street from where the twins play. Super cool. Um, but they've got that robust system. They have, they have a bigger network of VCs there. Um, they've also just had a couple of like really massive exits. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like we're, um, you know, we're on the cusp of having a couple of major exits here, but it's been a while. Um, we haven't had like a, an exact target Salesforce level of exit, in a decade. Right. I do think uh, building tech ecosystems is a decades long and ongoing project. Um, but yeah, if you go back to the rankings, we still have a huge jump to make to, to pass up Minneapolis. And that's also going to come on the heels of St. Louis continuing to grow their ecosystem, Pittsburgh continuing to grow theirs. Mm-hmm. I don't think that everyone should like plan their tech ecosystems around moving up in the Midwest cities rankings, but I do think that that kind of friendly competition does help show yeah. you can look at the data and find actionable ways that your community can um, level up in specific areas to create a more robust tech ecosystem. Besides sabotage. Besides, and, yeah, yeah, besides yeah, open yeah. <laughs> Sorry to my friends in Minneapolis. Um, I think you're great, but uh, yeah. 
um, other than sabotage. I think that's it. Another thing I'm really interested in is continued connectivity to Chicago. One thing that we've never taken advantage of here is the fact that we're only three hours away from Chicago. I know that the Hoosier line running, the train running between the two cities doesn't run daily anymore. Um, and I'm hoping that in upcoming years with like improved infrastructure funding, we can bring that back, not just as a person who sometimes has to commute to Chicago yeah. and hates the last 45 minutes where I'm white knuckling, yeah. like I'm from a small town, I'm from a small town. Um, which does happen every time. Uh, but I just think it'd be very convenient to have a commuter route between the two cities, um, be it by train or more robust bus system. Yeah. I do actively keep track of what buses are going between the two cities and there are being innovations made in like the bus world where you don't just have to take the Greyhound and hope it's not a really gross day. Yeah. Um, but I do think that we're not taking advantage of that level of connectivity. I, um, pre pandemic, I was usually taking the Amtrak up to Mm -hmm. Chicago to be with my team. And, um, currently it's a five hour trip. It stops in, Lafayette, Dyer, Rensselaer, and I think one other place before Chicago. Um, if we could get an express route that's not stopping like that, yeah. um, running at least one day a week and in the morning, right. um, in the morning to get up there and then in the late afternoon to get back, that's not currently something yeah. that we have the luxury of. Um, but I just think something like that could be a game changer. I know lots of people that were taking the Hoosier line to get to Chicago yeah. on occasion, and I just think that a three hour difference, a three hour, a three hour commute on occasion to do business up there is not that different than the people who live in like Schaumburg and are right. two hours yeah. to commute to work. It's just not that different. So I would like to see more connectivity with Chicago, get more cross pollination going yep. and having it elevate both of our ecosystems. And it's probably not just Indiana people going to Chicago, but it's the Chicago people, especially like some, some of the investors having easy access to yeah. get here as well. I mean, that would be the side yeah. benefit. Yeah. yeah. I cool. don't think that many of them are actively like, oh, I got to get to Indiana yeah. like, on a regular basis. They come for things like BC Speed Day, yeah. the TechPoint does. They come for some of High Alpha's events. Right. Um, we actually had several Chicagoans come down for our Indie Happy Hour, which I thought was great. Um, but the easier we can get people to and from both of those mm-hmm. cities, the better. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate you spending yeah. some time with us today and giving us some insights on what we can do to be better and just what M25 does in general. I will say as someone that talks to venture capital firms all the time, if you're early stage, you, you should have a conversation yes, with someone from M25. <laughs> and, and I don't think you ever say no. So if you, even if you have a robotics company, you yeah. should have a conversation. Yeah, still send it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Bye.